So, Dave, you told me that the other night you watched the original, like, 90s, like, Broadway filmed version of Cats. Yes. How was that? It's godless, dude. (laughs) It's it's the most, like, dark-sided, nihilistic exercise in just pure spectacle. Like, are you you familiar with uh, the Hunger Games? Yeah, pretty much. Well enough. Like, I feel like Cats is the type of uh, entertainment that the people in the Capitol would be watching <laughs> in, in that it just seems like a, the most hollow, empty, like symbol of just pure excess and stimulation, meaning absolutely nothing. And that only the most like just depraved and godless society would create and just and love so it's like one step below gladiator battles is what you're saying. Yeah, it, it's what people watch like to rev them up either before a gladiator battle or maybe just to come after they've seen a gladiator battle. It's like it's like Caligula shit. <laughs> but also with but but also Broadway. <laughs> Have you you haven't seen the new one? No, right? not yet. Yeah, me either. Um I'm excited. I'm like, I'm more fascinated now than ever, but like, I also feel like emptier. Like I feel like it like took an ice cream scoop to like part of my soul. And I like, cause I'm questioning everything. My whole barometer of taste and like, like my compass for what is good and what is bad and, and what is tasteful and just why anybody does anything. Cause this whole podcast, this exercise, we're kind of doing reverse like like anthropology or whatever we're being like why did this get made who who what are the reasons behind this but cats i can't even get past step 1 it's such a such a bonkers premise it's a, it's not even a premise it's an anti premise well and it's weird because there's so many people that love that show yeah. and i do not understand it it's just cats introducing other cats and rubbing on each other and yeah, but it's like but the longest the, running musical in history. Maybe that's the appeal, though. Maybe people like the fact that there is some kind of inexplicable, surreal Broadway show that has major mass cultural appeal. Yeah, like maybe I actually do like fully get it in all of my confusion. And it's just that it is just emptiness. It's just like. Well, like I like to th- like suppose you went to suppose there was some new off off Broadway show that was being touted as like the weirdest, most forward thinking show in like recent <laughs> history. Right. And then you went, I mean, obviously this is a world in which cats doesn't already exist, but you went and then you saw cats. <laughs> like how would you feel differently about it? And also is that the way that people felt when they first saw right. it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're coming at it. it it's like, it's been it around like, for so it long. It has like that- 40, 30, 40 years of cultural baggage behind it. Once right. we get to it. But but people would go there and probably feel the same way, but they'd also be like, nothing like this has ever existed. So this is either brilliant or just a folly beyond the magnitude of what my brain can understand. So it just has to be brilliant. But maybe that's what, that, that could be the appeal of it is that you can't understand it. Yeah. That is that your brain has to almost revert to this non-critical space because it can't, logically like explain right. or make sense of what's happening. And and yet like I could say that about a lot of media that I really enjoy. But that Dave, something- that's because we're snobs about it <laughs> because the majority of people don't have that. <laughs> so they see cats and that is their, f- like one of their first exposures to that kind of art. So, so it blows their mind. Yeah, but it's so funny to me picturing like, okay, like I picture like a 60-something recently retired couple from like Tempe, Arizona. And, you know, he used to sell like photocopiers and she uh, just stayed at home and ran a daycare. And they've saved up for their trip to New York City and they go to New York City and they paid like, you know, $500 each a ticket to go see the biggest show, Cats. (laughs) And they go in and they see these... They just see adults dressed as cats singing about Mr. Mistopheles and Rum Tum Tugger and Grumble Shanks or whatever and rubbing their dicks on each other. And they're like, this is what I like. This is what or they're like, fuck you. I'm voting for George W. Bush. (laughs) I just I also really like picturing I have this fantasy of like. You know, because it's based on this T.S. Eliot po- book of lo- like poems. Do you think T.S. Eliot is rolling in his grave, or do you think he's patting himself on the back, going like "fuck yeah"? No, see, this is I like to picture if he'd been alive in like 1998 and he went to the theater or, or whenever, and they were like, "Hey, we made Andrew Lloyd Webber's like, 
I love your poems so much. I made a show. I made a show of them. And T.S. Eliot goes and he watches and he's like, this is exactly what I was picturing in my head. <laughs> it's like, like you nailed it. <laughs> like Andrew Lloyd Webber got it. He yeah. just got it. He read, yeah. he read the poems and he was like, I understand he, exactly he, what he's going he, for. I see this. I see it. I see the cats and they're singing. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um, also, oh. just uh, before we move on, <laughs> I just want to throw this out there. Any of the any of the cats' names would also make really good like punk band member aliases. <laughs> <laughs> Like Grumble Shanks is the bass player for like a, for like a hardcore band. Mr. Mistopheles is the lead singer. Um, or no, it's, it's Scrimble Shanks. He's a cat oh, right. that lives on a train. Uh, Mr. Mistopheles is a magician cat. Um, Asparagus, who old Gus is uh, an old cat. Grim- Bomb ballerina. Bomb ballerina. It doesn't matter. I I also like to think of them as like sex acts that like uh, you you like pay for. But we were talking about this like if you went to get a happy ending massage and they were like it's, uh, it's sixty dollars for a scrimble shanks, but a hundred for a rum tum tugger. <laughs> and with that, welcome to Heat Seeking yeah. Panther. <laughs> Pay the ghost. <laughs> we're, ta- we're talking about 2015's <laughs> Pay the Ghost. Um, Jesus Christ. I, I'm glad that we spent like 30 minutes on that because... Um, it's a good ramp up, honestly. So what were you expecting this movie to be? Not what it was. Same. Uh, I was not expecting a quasi-horror movie. No. I mean, I guess it is a horror movie technically. I, but yeah, it, only but technically. It didn't feel, it wasn't scary, scary. to me. No. Uh, but it was using a lot of horror movie like language and setups, so. I think it thought it was a horror movie. I would put it more in the supernatural mystery genre. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know, like a, the weird combination. Weird I feel tale. like I feel like a lot of like Vincent Price movies fall into that category. Yeah. And also- uh, Oh God! What the fuck was the one I was thinking of? Anyway, it was yeah, it was it, it, it was well, like a, a cross between House on Haunted Hill and like uh, um, the Omen or something. Yeah, almost. I mean, Cage mentioned in the interviews around this film, and this is he he actually mentions this a lot, but Hammer Horror as being like a big thing. Yeah, Vincent yeah. Price. And, I mean, that's and, this this was essentially like an an overpriced B horror movie. Yeah, but it without the kind of like 60s or 70s charm that a hammer horror would have it it's like mid 20 teens uh do you think people in like 30 years though are gonna look at this movie and be like uh wow this is really charming i was because of its like mid 20 teens aesthetic yeah because it's not offensive no it's it's fine and it's fine and even there were there were certain scenes where i was on board and then it would you know, shoot itself in the foot like two minutes later because it wouldn't pay off. It just like doesn't seem to understand what's scary. Right. Which is weird considering who directed it. Yeah, because this guy actually has a pedigree, right? Yeah. Um, what's his name? Uli? Uli something? Uli Idell or something Ooh, yeah, like Uli that? Yeah, Uli Idell. He Hold did- on, I'm going to look it up so we don't sound like idiots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Um, Uli Idell or okay. Edel. He did uh, the Bader Meinhof complex, which is a good movie. He directed an episode of Twin Peaks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, season two, but right, still. it's fine. Um, was, he, was it one of the like shitty um, James centric episodes toward toward the middle of season two? <laughs> yeah, it's it's where like, he gets emo and like rides away on his bike. <laughs> it, it's episode fourteen, whatever that is. Okay, whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, he did Last Exit to Brooklyn. Yeah. And uh, that movie is weird, right? And Christian F, you ever seen that? <laughs> no, but I've it, I've heard of it. See, I've heard of Last Exit to Brooklyn and seen Christian F, which is like it's kind of like thirteen, but in the seventies and in Germany or oh, like okay. nineteen eighty. Yeah, and cool. most notable for having uh, David Bowie give a live performance in the middle of it. Oh wow! Yeah, which is really dope. But it's like the tr- supposedly true story of a teenager going bad, doing yeah. drugs, and hanging out at like Berlin clubs and watching people like David Bowie. And it's charming because it's from the seventies. Yeah, and <laughs> and harrowing because it's from the seventies. Um, yeah, there, there's a certain level of grit and edge that I feel like movies nowadays that they really perfected in the seventies. Yeah, that movies nowadays just don't even touch. Yeah, even something like like Joker that's explicitly going for that, like they really just can't. They can't do it. 
and I, I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's like the film stock or just like the general sense of uh, that the world was going wrong that the 70s had. Although I guess we I, have that even more so. Yeah, I, but I think a lot of it has to do with that all entertainment, even if it's R-rated, is flattened to appeal to everyone from like a kid to an old adult. You yes, know what I mean? Because yes. like everything needs like broad box office appeal. And so nothing is truly like gritty or fucked up because it's there's going to be some demographic in that window that won't approve of that yeah even on tv even though like there's more like more extreme shit than was allowed in movies in the 70s is more readily available now for some yeah it's flattened out somehow and i don't know why but maybe there's this sense not to go off on a long ass tangent but Again. i just i yeah <laughs> i feel like this there's like this come down from the 60s into the 70s um from like whatever kind of uh just truly pure uh feelings of hope that were in the 60s that coming into the 70s and watching that curdle i think really really fucked people up and that, like, you could say that we kind of had that coming out of the 90s into the 2000s, but it was different because the 90s into the 2000s or the Obama years into now, I think even more, like, that everyone was just kind of numb. And then it's just a way, like, more tiring, depressing slide, I yeah. think, than, like, the, like, it's sort of, like, you know, Altamont and Vietnam and just everything was, like... Yeah, I, th I think Nixon casts a long yeah, shadow in, so. in our culture in that respect. Anyway. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so um, pay cares? the ghost. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, it's fine. It's aggressively fine. And um, I and I don't – I was – I wanted to be charmed by it, but the none of the scary shit lands, which is just a shame. Like, uh, honestly, yeah. if they'd, like, had, like, two or three, like, kind of scary scenes, like, it might have worked. There, there were a couple – things that I think were kind of effective. One of them was when the wife was carving into her own arm. Yeah. Like I know that I've was seen, shocking. yeah, like I know I've seen that in ghost movies before, but I thought that it was still like pretty, cause I, like I was audibly like, Oh fuck when that happened. Well, cause it, it, it ramped it up in a way like the, it, right, the movie but, had been kind of like going at a pretty, uh, like PG, uh, yeah. space. And then it, it went into PG 13. I think it took a turn when the medium was killed, when she got like yeah. thrown across the room. That <laughs> that's where the movie turned also where I started to not like where it went. Mm. Um, cause before that, everything was vague enough where, like I said, there were moments here and there where I was getting into it almost before it. Yeah, you want, I wanted to know the mystery. I wanted right. to know where the sun went. But this was not a way that I appreciated tying that up at all. No, it uh, starts explaining it and you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's another thing that bothered me is they, there were annoyingly strict metaphysical <laughs> explanations for things. that From, just, from like, characters who seem to have almost no authority to be able to just be at exposition. Like they, they talked to that like school teacher who is like, okay, uh, well, you know, she, first she's like, I'm just a school teacher. Like I can't help you find your son. And they're just like, oh, but my wife got these, this weird symbol carved into her wrist. And she's like, well, I can tell you that, uh, there was a witch and she takes all the kids for this specific reason. And you can only save them by midnight because of Sam. Like she just, right, starts but also I'm just a teacher from Bayside. <laughs> what do I? Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's talk about the actual plot. Cause like Nick Cage is married to, uh, Sarah Wayne Colley of the walking dead, uh, semi fame. And she, their son disappears on Halloween mysteriously. And their cage takes him to a Halloween carnival, yeah. which no carnival where people are wearing masks, whether it be this or Mardi Gras ever ever ends in a way <laughs> like it's it's always a bad ending yeah, if it, you go to a fucking like halloween carnival some shit's going down <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you ever realize that you're in a movie don't go there <laughs> don't just stay home but yeah you, they go there and uh he's getting ice cream for his son his son says dad can we pay the ghost and nick cage is like what and then his son is gone disappeared which by the way um, I thought of a meme that I wanted to make, but uh, I'm not going to. So I just want to put it out there. Um, okay, so there's the screenshot of the kid and he's saying, Dad, can we pay the ghost? 
And then there's Nick Cage, you know, going in the ice cream and he's like, we can pay the ghost at home. <laughs> and then it says the ghost at home. And it's a screenshot of a production still of them filming Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance <laughs> with Cage's face in the Ghost Rider makeup. <laughs> so yeah. someone make that. Yeah, someone please make that. <laughs> Anyway, um, so the son disappears and he goes home and uh, Sarah Wayne Collie freaks out and they're like, well, our son is gone and then well, they get divorced maybe. Cage also does this boneheaded thing. I've never been a father. I've never been a parent that loses a child. But he does this thing where he like freaks out and like runs around the crowd for a minute, like pushing through people, trying to like yelling and My trying boy. to find his son. My son. And then he bumps into a policeman First of all, the policeman's answer is like, well, if you, he's like, well, you live close by, he probably just went home. And then Cage just leaves the premises to like run blocks. And it's not like around the corner, it's like multiple blocks. And he runs back to his house. And then his wife's like, wait, you, you left, left him? <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like on her side with that. I was like, yeah, what the fuck, dude? Why didn't he call her? This is the other thing that I, holy shit, dude. So I took a note about this. It drove me crazy. No one's cell phones work in this movie. Yeah. Because every single, there are, it seems no technology works <laughs> because there are a couple times where just calling someone on their cell phone would have easily solved the problem. And then the other thing that happens is right after Cage loses his son, the camera pans up to the corner and there is a vulture posted up, <laughs> right? And throughout the movie, the vultures yes. are like symbol, like symbols for, you know, uh, yeah, the ghost and, Annie. and they're evil. So they show up wherever like the ghost <laughs> yeah. is. Uh, but there's a vulture perched on a security camera at the corner of the street that is facing, that is directly facing the ice cream truck. So my whole thing was like, Wait, so first the cell phone. I didn't even phone, notice that. Yeah, well, I but, wrote it down because I was like, no one, the first thing anyone would do is like, hey, check the footage. Check the footage. <laughs> And but and the director and so I thought he shot. showed us that on purpose, right? For, because it was gonna like somehow come in handy because <laughs> no one mentioned checking the footage before. Wow. That. Anyway, and I just wanted to point that out. Similarly, remember when he, he's watching because the kid is videotaping the whole time and he like videotapes the ghost before it gets him. I really thought that that was gonna come up. I thought Cage would have watched the footage, but he didn't. Instead and then he does was... finally, <laughs> but nothing really shows up on it. So I was like, what's the point of that device? No, it was just an excuse for a jump scare. The, the other thing with this movie is that it grossly abused jump scares. Almost solely jump scares. Like almost every single creepy scene ended in a jump scare. And it was, they weren't good. They weren't thought out. I mean, jump scares at this point in time are so overdone that yeah. you really, really, really need to make sure that when you do it, you're doing it good. James Wan can do it. There's like a few people who can do it, who understand how to do it well. Cause it's not a necessarily a cheap or bad thing, but yeah, you have to know what you're doing. This is I, like, that's what I mean. I feel like this movie was made by people who don't understand or enjoy horror movies in that way. Or like, I just don't think, I think he's like, this is what a horror movie is. Right. But yeah. it, it's not, which is funny because like it, this movie overall in tone and execution felt like a C grade conjuring movie. Yeah. You know, where it's like they watched whatever in 2015 was popular at the time in horror movies and they were like, all right, we're going to do all of those things in our movie. Yeah. And it's funny because they're it like explicitly references Sleepy Hollow and uh, yeah, which I which I noted was a was I think a really unnecessary and heavy handed oh type God. of like meta callback is it's that is worst. that he he gives Cage's characters a professor at a college and he gives a lecture on like Ichabod Crane, Sleepy Hollow, and, and Sleepy the Hollow. Earl Koenig, the, yeah, uh, the German poem. Um, which it was nice to see Nicolas Cage reading the uh, the Earl Koenig out loud uh, to his class. That was that was fun. But yeah, no, it's the type of it's like I screen cap that scene. I was I was really I was good. very satisfied. And that happens like within the first five to seven minutes of the film. So when that happened, I was like, oh, this might be this kind of movie. I could get into right. it. You know what I mean? No, nah, but like what you're saying, it's like it's the same shit as if you're watching like a teen soap opera and w the teacher's talking about the Scarlet Letter. You know, it's going to be like an episode about rumors. It's just like, it's just, okay, it's scary. We get it. But also just referencing those things in particular, which are very PG-13, like, uh, folk tale horror kind of thing. Like I, it's like the tone that I wanted this movie to find. Like I, I was like, I feel like it wants to be, you know, cause it's talking about a ghost from the 1600s. So like I, if 
we could have got kind of like the witch found that tone, yeah. but then tried to take it to a dark, darker kind of place. Like I wish it could have found some of that folktale charm, but it's just, but they're using jump scares and it's not, and it's just not scary. It doesn't work. But yeah. It just doesn't work. So his son disappears. Uh, his marriage falls apart. Um, he, it's unclear if they get divorced or what really happens, but it doesn't really matter, I guess. Um, all the stuff about his marriage I thought was the weakest uh, yeah. in terms of... I understand just, why they had to do it. Yeah. and, and But honestly, I almost they both, wish this movie had been about this guy's like guilt right. for losing his son and then you know it, it turned into some kind of dramatic family melodrama about you know like how how a marriage survives or doesn't losing a child like i almost feel like for cage's for like cage's skill level that would have been a more interesting handling of the subject matter i don't know if they would have made it well but well yeah and i don't want to oversell it but i I think sarah wayne collie was pretty good like she she was i think the best performance of the movie and like i mean they didn't give her much to work with that was that good but she uh, also her chemistry, both with the son actor and with Cage, was pretty good. It's like yeah, it's hard to find. Uh, it's really hard to find female leads that have good chemistry with that Cage. work with him. Yeah, but they actually had like a thing that felt natural. Like it, it wasn't exciting or interesting. Like I said, I think it was a complete failure on the script's part to give to make it interesting. But I also I feel like those two actors in a different movie, uh, like they could have done something with this. Well, and even Cage often doesn't. I feel like he doesn't really get an, an emotional connection with any child actors that yeah. are like playing his his son or daughter or you know. I no, feel but like, I believed this. Yeah, but I did, and even that, and like you were saying, the chemistry that he has with both uh, the wife and the son mm-hmm. are really like miles better than a lot of than other like knowing. Or, yeah, or, or any like of these any other, other like movie where he has to have father. a serious like romantic connection or or a, or a connection with his son. I guess because we're so specific with it, we can pick up that difference, yeah. but like it feels wasted in this movie. Yeah. You know? I guess that's the also, whole- this is the first movie where I, I felt like I, he noticeably is middle-aged. Yeah. I, he's I, not. Like, yeah. Well, he's, he's embracing it, in, right. it to a degree. Like, I mean, like there, obviously he looked older in other movies before right. this, but there's something about his naturalistic the the performance look, that he yeah, gives like and the he, way that he's styled it. It feels like yes, someone who is is not Nick Cage. He's he's acting right, a bit, right? And uh, and yeah, and he feels uh, I don't know. It was I don't want to say good. But it, yeah, I think good is overselling. Like, it. but like fair, like six point five. You know, <laughs> like um, which I'll take at yeah the, at this point. At this point, something that I realized was he keeps taking roles where he he just has this like obsessive quest. He's a character with an obsessive quest. I think I, I read some sort of review that was mentioning this, and and I hadn't thought about it as like a as a such a through line of his career but if you really think about it like especially in the in these recent films it's always that's that's pretty much yeah the story well because i think cage is the kind of guy that he gets obsessed about things yeah i mean we've seen this time and time again he gets some kind of concept or idea or story idea or you know oh i want to play a character in this way he gets really really set Right, and he wants to explore every nook and cranny yeah, of one yeah, yeah. specific. He, gets, he wants to get hyper specific about one thing. Right, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's always he's always and he's he's just a curious guy. Right, and and that's how it manifests. And so that makes sense to me. Yeah, that he would choose these kind of no. Characters. It makes sense. Yeah. It, it. I mean, it works. It's just it's interesting. Yeah, it's just interesting that. that we haven't really seen him play like an easygoing regular person in a while. Yeah. Know? Yeah, and just the different types of roles that I'm. It's just I want to think about it more and kind of think about this. Yeah, like uh, it, I I wonder how many films could fit under that umbrella. Anyway, uh, the performance was good, and I, uh, it, you know, he he also talks in interviews about uh, Ellen Burstein in The Exorcist as like s- you know selling the drama, so the the dramatic. Uh, elements of the storyline can work as well as the horror stuff. And, uh, you know, this is 
worlds apart from the exorcist but uh, i can see that that's sort of what he was trying to do and if the story itself had been better it would have worked but the yeah i mean it's just such a letdown when we finally find out why it's happening you know that that's uh, almost if the wheels are going to come off of a story like this that's usually where it happens and it's just like okay especially horror movies with a good premise that start out with a good premise yeah like the third act is always if it's gonna fail that's where it falls apart right and it's just such like boring basic i know it's so seen like so many fucking times the final battle with like the cgi ghost child tornado (laughs) is just abysmal Uh, why did you have to go there you couldn't just left it well enough alone and let the like weird gothic mystery work its charm you know you no. had to you had to turn it into this and you actually go in, to the land of the dead right um i would pair this movie i think this and uh i think this and season, season of, of the, the witch. witch would be a yep. good double feature yep 100 percent agree the deal is that uh okay there was a celt there there were <laughs> irish civilians in new york before it was new york back in like 1679 and uh there were some celtic witches those infamous celtic (laughs) witches uh were there and they uh i don't know they killed it's like a salem witch trial thing they they killed a woman and her kids in front of her, her three children, and she cursed them all. And she said, every year at Samhain, she'll come and she'll take three of your children. And uh, then she did forever. And then somehow this random school teacher knows that there are these rules that uh, the three kids that she took the year before, as long as you, if you can get to the land of the dead and save them within a year, uh, then it'll be fine. But the door to the land of the dead is only open, you know, like around Halloween time. And so Cage has a very short window in which to literally, and I mean this very literally, cross a bridge into the, like, land of the dead. And then he walks into this giant cavernous space. Well, wait, wait, wait. wait, Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So, like, something, he finds out where the land of the dead is through these symbol, like, these vultures keep appearing and stuff. And I was unclear, because there's sometimes there's supernatural shit where it's like, okay, that's the bad ghost witch is attacking people or scaring people. But then sometimes there's supernatural shit that's, like, giving him clues. And it's like, where was that? Is that the ghost children? How do they, can they, cause he sees his kid on a bus and then he, but then the kid isn't there. So it's like, wait, the kids can come across the veil too. And kind of like, like what's happening. If you're going to be super specific about some of this shit, then at least like, I don't know. Well, and that was my thing. You either explain all the, all the creepy supernatural things that are happening or you leave them all vague. Yeah. And but, but you don't, it, you can't make up arbitrarily make up certain rules about it and then have other instances that break those rules without explaining why. And if you're going to explain them to us, then th- that explanation should add to anything, but beyond just like it not shouldn't being be confused. Like a literal, it, it could be yeah. okay if we were confused and, and it was scary. Like we would all take that. That's like well, the exorcist think, doesn't spell it out. Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of really good scary movies where a lot of, why it's scary and unsettling is because you don't know exactly. anything. And that is always, I mean, you always a hundred percent of the time go with the option that like leaves mystery yep. as opposed to explaining everything with these weird rules that don't, it's, so it, and if you're going to bring out the rules, then make it a different kind of movie. Right. It should be a, it should make actually it like, be a quest. Yeah. Make it like he, a Van Helsing thing yes, or something exactly. where like there are certain monsters, you have to kill them certain ways and complete these like arbitrary missions to like save the dead. Right. And those rules inform other things that happen in the plot. They don't, it's not just like, cause the plot of this is question. What happened? Where'd my son go? Answer here the end you know and then he goes and and he takes the kid that's not a fulfilling story but okay it's not even a fulfilling mystery which is how the movie starts it's just a question and an answer the buzzards lead him to this warehouse where someone spray painted again who spray painted the ghost the kids they spray painted pay the ghost the weird like homeless person the blind homeless guy that like tommy was so with dreads who like meets him in there and also seems to I know w- I wish that I wish he had been played by Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> oh, hello, Mike. 
You're looking for your son. <laughs> pay the ghost, you well, know? <laughs> well, I can tell you where he is. You gotta pay the ghost, Mike. <laughs> so, yes, they, he goes down into the fucking warehouse on Halloween and he goes into a big cavernous space with a literal bridge to the land of the dead, which is just like kind of like a big dark room. Yeah, and there's like hundreds of ghost children. In just Halloween costumes. In Halloween costumes, because they were all taken right. on Halloween. Just like standing around. Just raising their hands yeah, for some and reason. Moaning. Uh anyway, and like that and that kind of thing is I can tell when they were writing it. And even maybe <laughs> yeah, they when like they were so filming creepy. it, they were like, oh man, this is the creepy ass yeah. imagery. Like this is gonna freak everyone out. Yeah. But then you see it on screen. And it's just a room full of slightly translucent CGI Child children actors. in like skeleton masks. <laughs> and you're like, it just what? You're doesn't like, work. Why? Why? Why would you do that? There are so many ways to, because the concept is scary. Yeah. There's just a bunch of innocent right. children in limbo for eternity because of some woman's, you know, crazy like jealousy and wrath and anger. And like that, and those kind of things you can deal with. It's like, how does one person's, you know, um, like obsession and like tumultuous anger manifest itself in a way that is, you know, directly affecting the most innocent. Yeah. Like those, like sure. that, like that right. is a, that is a question mm-hmm. that you could spend two hours. But the fact, know, the fact is, is that it's just shot and edited poorly. Right. Like this, I mean, not only is the story kind of whatever. Well, and it doesn't, it doesn't explore her or why. No, there's one exactly. flash, there's one flashback where she's getting chased, uh, you know, with like a, by a mob with pitchforks and torches that then like, you know, take her children and then set them alive. And I, and that's it, it. You know, and but that's the thing is like, it doesn't seem interested in that. And right. It's made by people who either don't understand or really care about horror as a genre. Yeah. And like, so again, it's just a question or answer, you know, and, and, uh, or question and answer. And th- it's weird because Uli Adele, like the, the, what worked about Christian F and what I've heard of Last Exit at Brooklyn is that it's it has a realism to it it's yeah. and part of that is because the way that it's shot is feels documentarian style or just even kind of in, the inartfulness of it or it's just works. got 70s like grittiness yeah or it just know? feels like the film was like rubbed in grease and gravel <laughs> it's weird i wonder if he felt like this was like a, a pathetic thing to do make a horror movie so he's like okay well i'll give them the here's your jump scare and whatever and yeah, it, because like i that, want to explore the right. what the the father feels in this way this is the the currency of the realm that this is what I have to do to make the you people buy this as a horror film rather than doing it in a more interesting artful way. Cause yeah, like if I don't know, yeah, the, that scene of the land of the dead should have worked. It could have worked, but it's like, it just, I felt nothing. And then, like you said, he's leaving and then the ghost comes down to try to stop him, which again, I don't get the rules. I, is it, so you can go get the three kids, but not unless she stops you. This is not like an agreement that she made. Whatever. She tries to stop him. Also, why and, didn't she just stop him coming in? Right. Where was know? she? What was she doing? Was she scouting for the next well, maybe, kids? Maybe she was, yeah. <laughs> she, she was out there. She was like, mm, a little too tall. Like, I mean, I, I'd like to get a blonde this year. Okay, this is also a weird thing to say, but like Cage took the other two. So, okay, so every year she takes three children right. on Halloween. So earlier in the movie... When Cage is trying to put this mystery he's together, detective. right? He's playing like amateur detective because, of course, the actual detective on the police force is too overworked, and the you know case is a year old, and right. he has yeah. he has uh, he's moved on to other things. So then Cage realizes doing this research that you know that three kids are taken every year. So he goes to try to find the parents of the kids that were taken. Like the yeah the same right year. yeah yeah the the same year as his son to try to get you know talk to them and right. compare notes and get answers he meets and that guy who's like sitting in a house full of like bugs and rotten food it's like all of a sudden it was requiem for a dream and <laughs> yeah, I was just like wait wait I was sores I was and- like where is this going and why is this scene necessary and and it, you know and it could have it could have just shown a father grieving it didn't yeah. need to show him as no, like it a, was so yeah. over the top anyway but regardless. uh 
you know, Cage then like realizes there's a connection between all these kids. They all said some variation of, are we going to pay the ghost yeah, before they and, disappear? And he realizes right. that every other, and I do not think this is true, that every day people, a bunch of children disappear, but they like, you know, more than half of them come back except on Halloween when there's right. like, I, that, that whole thing was just felt kind of gross. To yeah. Me. Um, anyway, so then, then, you know, the woman, the, the school teacher that is also the like Celtic pagan priestess tells him, you know, three kids are taken every year, but you only have one year to bring them back because then by the time midnight on Halloween of the next year hits, they're trapped forever as like, you know, they're trapped forever in purgatory as ghosts. So then, you know, Cage goes to rescue his son. He finds his son and then his son asks him, can they come too? And it's the other two kids that were taken with the son. So Cage, you're referring to Pablo and Mia. Yeah, exactly. So Cage realizes like, Oh, I, I can save these other children too. So, you know, he's, he like brings them along where was I going with this? I don't know. Oh, well, they get onto the bridge and then oh, the, right. go, the ghost tries to stop them and then all the other children's souls come and create like a yeah, like a ghost child tornado. Right, but like, but, but, okay, so, oh, you're right. Okay, I remember. So then right. if Cage is taking two of the children, he's just taking this like woman's explanation at face value and doesn't even try to rescue any of the other kids. Good point. You know what I mean? There's like hundreds of kids in there. And if you're like, maybe they're only yeah. shot, like Come wouldn't on, you kids. be like, Hey, everyone, Come with me now. Also, the, like, because the kids have this ability to form like a ghost Voltron and <laughs> stop and stop her. It was like, like it was. Why like, don't they all just breeze on out of there? It was like Mighty Morphin Ghost Children or something. They all they all like get together. <laughs> ghost <and> Children <laughs> assemble. Zordon. <laughs> ghost Children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the I didn't I. I didn't understand. Either tell me more or tell me less. That's what I'm <laughs> It's whatever you did is just frustrating. They should have all just, because also when the kid comes back, his son comes back, he doesn't remember anything that happened to him. No. He's like, he's like, what a great Halloween. And but then also what happened to other two kids? Did they show Cage giving them back to their no, parents? They or they're just, they, they just, they are saved and then you don't see them again. Right? Yeah, we don't know. But what we do know, here's maybe the silliest element of this whole thing is Cage has a colleague at the college oh my God, who yes. also researches some shit for him and seems to only exist just to get killed. And she gets ki- killed by a, a buzzard flies into her and knocks her out of like a fifth story window. And then that's uh, and then they don't visit that again. They're just they just let that sit until the credits roll. There's and a there's a mid credits like so, stinger that sets a sequel up. Yeah, because then she you we see her her body like laying on the pavement and it's midday like 12 plus hours have passed and i guess no one's found her and her eyes fly open and they're all black and it's like okay so what are so you even saying is she possessed what? by the ghost by the ghost what's going can on can the ghost do that if so, you should have told us. And if so, she, another arbitrary rule that was just like never addressed. It's not Halloween anymore. So uh, 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 the whole thing about Sam Hain and the ghost powers, is that not, what is going on? Here's a it's, uh, possibly related factoid from uh, the Cage interviews. Is He mentioned multiple times that Uli Adele was uh, rewriting the script like up until the shooting day. There you go. So, and Cage, he says, he's like, I, you know, I was a little uncomfortable with that. I'm used to like, you know, he, he's like, I didn't, it's not the script I signed on for, but he was always trying to make it better. And I appreciate that. But, yeah. you, but it feels like a democratic thing of like, okay, so what did, what did you sign on for? And why was he like also a, sh- yeah. bucketing water out of the boat? So f- like, yeah. you know, what, what was going on? Yeah, there was definitely something going on there. It definitely felt to me like the kind of situation where he accepted the movie the director, I'm talking about the director, mm-hmm. accepted the movie because he wanted to make a certain type of right. movie. Yeah, it's based on a novella. Right, and then he couldn't, for whatever reason, get his idea or vision across because of script things or, you know, producers butting in and demanding changes or whatever. So then he tried to, like, you know, he tried to make the third or fifth or ninth draft what he wanted mm-hmm. out of the, you know, out of the mess that was already given to him. And so it just makes it more convoluted. But yeah. then at that point, you could, I like, isn't there, 
I don't really know how it works, but wouldn't you expect, especially in this day and age where everything is written by a committee of like, you know, there's like 20 writers rooms on everything. Wouldn't you kind of expect the final script to be not exactly what you signed on for? And you kind of just have to be okay with that at a certain point. I think so. I wonder like contractually how you get around that. Yeah. I, I, I feel like depending on if you're like an executive producer or something, this is just me speculating, but I, I think like if you're an actor and you signed on for a movie and the script keep change, keeps changing, you might just have to be like, all right. Yeah. Anyway, if you're an actor or director who has signed on to a movie and the script kept changing <laughs> and eventually it was not the movie you wanted to make anymore. Yeah. Hit us up. Hit us up. Cause we're interested in <laughs> how that happens. <laughs> drop, drop us a DM. Is there anything else to, to say? I mean, not really. This is a pretty like one-dimensional flat movie. I don't feel yeah. like there's a whole lot extra like subtext or nope. whatever going on that I could really expound upon. I do want to say that uh, this did have a g- really good cage alone in a scene moment mm. where he uh, cries is after the, the first night he loses his son and his wife goes up the stairs after yeah. yelling at him. He, that like, was a good scene. He has the breakdown where he starts crying and then he like, you know... Uh, like uh, leans against the wall and like slides down yeah. and just kind of like wails for a minute. Uh, part of what I liked about it was that he was wearing like a rhinestone cowboy outfit because I, cause I, it was Halloween. My theory is that he chose that outfit. A hundred percent. That's 100%, my theory. I just feel and it. And the reason that I think he chose it is because he fucking loves Elvis. He loves it. Yeah. And, and that suit made and that, cowboy, yeah. that suit made him look like a, like a seventies right. Vegas Elvis cheese. Yeah. It's not even clear what his costume is really like cowboy kind of, but like it's, I was like 100%. That was his, like his, his big ask this movie. Movie, he's like, I want to dress up as a cowboy. Oh, speaking of which, um, he in the interviews I was reading with him, he's talking about Halloween and how he, how much he loves Halloween. And he, do you want to know what uh, Nick Cage's Halloween costume in 2014 was? Yes, he was the Raven from the poem. <laughs> and they were they were like, wait, you weren't the guy there. He's like, no, I was the Raven. So was he just wearing a raven outfit? I don't know. And then when people asked him, he was like, I'm the raven. It's like, nevermore. <laughs> that would be funny. I want to hear Cage do a like reading of the Raven. Oh, he, I bet he would do it great. He would do it great. He would like actually really kill it. Honestly, I feel like uh I feel like he would read any Poe really good. Yeah. Like I feel it's like fully his Yeah, shit. I feel like Poe and even predictably Lovecraft is something that Cage could give a really good like dramatic reading of. Yeah. Like he already speaks in the same sort of like cadence and rhythm that would really work for a a Poe thing. I mean, he just, and he should be straight up like Vincent Price characters, like that, that style of thing. Like, cause it, you see it. He loves Vincent Price and he loves James Dean and he's too old to do the James Dean shit anymore. But he would honestly, he should start remaking some. He should like remake the Tingler and stuff. Yeah. Or like, uh, what was the one where um, uh, Pit and the Pendulum? I mean, that is Poe and Vincent Price, right. so that's a good combo. Yeah, it would be perfect. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm stoked that he's doing that uh, Lovecraft movie, the yeah. Colorado Space, yeah. so, which we'll get to eventually. <laughs> so we're just fully sure. in yeah, wrap yeah. up tangent yeah, shit. Yeah. I think we did know this, but I just want to visit it again. He had to turn down the role of Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. I remember. Yeah. That's that's crazy. That is insane. He was offered a role in The Matrix that he had to turn down too, he said. Do you know what role? No. Was he Morpheus? That would be great. It was probably Neo, but he, he would make a better Morpheus. Yeah, I can't I can't be mad at the eventual decision of Neo, obviously. No. But And and he said about both of those things, he was like he was like, you know what? Like, I'm not sad or bitter because I can, because I really love those films and right. I can watch them as an audience member and I, I can't watch my own movies. I um, like that. I like if Kate Cage is just watching The Matrix like on loop. Yeah. His favorite is actually the third one. <laughs> yeah. Cage would have made an okay uh, Mr. Smith too. He, he should. Oh, he, that is the role he should have played. <laughs> oh my. I mean, it's again, it's again, hard to argue with perfect. any of the casting yeah. choices in that movie. Nah, it's that, all good. Yeah, that's like a Hugo Weaving all time greatest yeah. right there. But Cage would have made Iconic. a really good Mr. Smith. Yeah. I had a thought this time that made me wish that I had thought it you know 20 30 episodes ago but this was another 
a movie where there's a shot of a family portrait of Cage with yes. his family in the movie. And I just wish I'd been collecting screenshots yes. of those because we've seen so many. I know. We, the, I feel like it happens like every, every third movie. Every fucking movie, movie yeah. almost. Like, you know, I left behind... Uh, knowing the family man, like so many, so many of them stolen trespass. Yes. Like basically always pretty much any movie where he is a father, a father, like or a family man, no pun intended. There is a, (laughs) there is a family photo. There's a close up of a family photo. Oh my God. I wish I, uh, I want, give me a super cut of that. Honestly, what I want is I want to take those screenshots and then print up those photos (laughs) and then frame them. And then we can start a business (laughs) On our Patreon, behind the paywall, like a certain <laughs> tier, we will ship you a framed family photo from one of Cage's Collect movies. Collect them all. Yeah. <laughs> Trading cards yeah, of, all exactly. the, of all the family photos yeah. in Cage movies. Yeah, they come in like a silver uh, foil package and you don't know which one you're going to get. They have like stats on the back. Ah, God damn it. This just means you have to go back and rewatch all of them now. Oh, uh, yeah, and, no and problem. And take screen caps. <laughs> Easy. Okay. All right. Is there anything else before we wrap Nah, I think I said it all. I think we said it all. So we're gonna we're this is our last episode of 2019. Yes, and uh, this probably won't the last get, episode of the decade. Yeah, definitely. This probably won't get up until after the new year. But that, we are currently recording this the last week of 2019. Yeah, who um, knows? Maybe people won't even be talking about cats and Star Wars. Who then. knows? Yeah. Then we're we're gonna take probably like a what six like, six, six to eight week break. I think. Yeah, because. Uh, we have to live our lives. Miles especially has to live his life. I don't, I don't have yeah, one. Yeah, I'm, I'm traveling uh, for a while for work. Uh, and then the one week that I'm back in town, Dave is traveling. Yeah. So it's going to be a, a little bit before we can get back on mic. But we're still here. This is, this is our first like real actual break. Yeah, because we've definitely we taken like, like a month. Yeah, before, here or there. Like, and that is mostly just doing circles, trying to schedule an episode. Yeah. Whereas this is a... We're going to definitely take a break for a while. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, we'll see if you really, uh, miss the kind of wit and insight that, uh, you know, we always provide unfailingly perfect episode every time. Um, we're going to be on, uh, our friend Andy's podcast. Oh yeah. Andy, our friend Andy cell has a podcast called ghoul school. Um, and we recently recorded an episode where we watched a double feature of dead alive and darkness the 1990 uh, uh, Jan, wait, what was his name? Uh, Jan Jonker or no, or Leaf, Leaf, <laughs> Jonker, Leaf Jonker, the, the 1990 <laughs> Leaf Jonker joint darkness, uh, um, low budget vampire thriller, the lowest of the budget. Uh, and yeah, so we, we watched double feature and then we have a little discussion about them and it went really well. Yeah, it was really fun. To- Andy is editing it right now. So it should be up. Uh, it'll, it'll definitely be up at some point during our break and we will definitely link to that. So, um, you can get your fix there while we're on hiatus. Yeah. If you ever wanted to know if we liked the movie dead alive, spoiler, we do. (laughs) 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 Um, and yeah, and then we will be back in maybe like March. Yeah. Like probably like end of February somewhere around there. Uh, what's next? The trust. The trust. Jesus Christ. That's like the worst. It's like stick around for our take on the trust. I wish. I, oh my God. I love really generic, ungoogleable movie titles. He's he's walking around. Look at this poster. <laughs> what the hell is he wearing? Well, he's wearing a mustache. Wow. Is he in like full, he's like in full like SWAT gear? Like yeah, what is? SWAT. Yeah, he's a police officer. It looks kind of like fetish gear, but I, I don't know what's going on. But it's Nicolas Cage and Elijah Wood and Sky Ferriera. And uh, you'll just have to trust us. Stop. But it's going <laughs> to be worth You're the fucking wait. You're fire, Dave. <laughs> uh, anyway, as always, thank you for listening. Um, thank you for liking us and commenting on us and doing all those things that you do on iTunes algorithm and the all, all the things. Uh, the y- y- uh, Thank you for... Uh, I just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, follow us follow on us. Instagram at Heat Seeking Panther. Like we have, and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> uh, we're, we post 
crazy photos and weird mm. cage screen casts yeah. and stuff all I'm the time. A, I'm in the Nicolas Cage Facebook group, the, or the, the uh, I think it's called Nicolas Cage Appreciation Facebook group, and th- those people have been on fire. Every time they see him on vacation, they get a picture, and they're really going up a lot. And every outfit looks amazing. I'm going to post one right now. Yeah, you should. Uh, I would highly recommend following this <laughs> Facebook page if you haven't. I uh, My Facebook I deactivated it for a while Good. and I brought it back online recently just because I missed that <laughs> that page. I was like, I, I want to see what the Nick Cage appreciation yeah, group is up to. The outfits alone are just like pure uh, like inspiration. Anyway, on that note, see you in a couple months. <laughs> I did, yes. Is it okay? One to ten, what's the score? It's like a five. Five five to six. I feel like that's what Disney wanted. Yeah, it's fine, man. You know? Like, it was was a Star Wars movie. Um, The thing that bothered me about it is there was a lot of it that I feel like... Like, there were things that were set up in the other movies that he just, like, dropped. Yeah. And then there were other things that would have taken two movies to set up so it could have clarified some kind of arc and he just like crammed it into one movie. Yeah. So it felt overstuffed but without actually delivering, delivering on any, any of the things. Why it's, yeah. Totally, yeah. So but dude, I don't it's like fine, man. I went to a Star Wars movie. I wanted to see giant Star Destroyers shooting lasers and blowing up planets, and I wanted to see lightsaber battles, and I got it. That seems to be everybody's review. They're like, which is like, I mean, I don't know. Did you like it more than Last Jedi? No, I actually think Last Jedi is like maybe top, three Star Wars movies for I me. do too. It's like number three, but it's still, I think it's Same. really good and I think people shafted it for no reason. I don't understand why people don't like it. People have been like making me feel like I was crazy for feeling that way. But yeah, I feel like after Empire and A New Hope, I would say Last Jedi. Yeah, I would say number one and two for me are Phantom Menace and then number <laughs> three is Last Jedi. Well, number one... <laughs> Number one is uh, the holiday special. Oh, dude, totally. Actually, no, like legitimately, no also, irony. That's my favorite piece of Star also, Wars Also, I want to go on record. I want to call out Disney right now for dropping the ball on finally giving us the holiday special when, yes. they, when they opened Disney Plus. Yeah, they're like, cowards. This is they're the fucking <laughs> cowards. This is, that is the place to fucking do that. It's the you only know? place. And you know what? Dude, it would have done great business this holiday. People would have people would have been talking about that. They're not talking about the new Star Wars movie. They're talking about cats and they would have been talking about the holiday special.